Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks very much for joining us. We'll get to those stories in a moment, but first, that breaking news out of Surrey where a fire is tearing through a self-storage business. And it's having an impact on nearby traffic as well. Global One's joins us live from the chopper. Trish, what's the latest out there? Uh, from what I can tell, King George Boulevard is now completely blocked in both directions between 88th Avenue and 80th Avenue by emergency crews. There was a lot of orange flames a little bit earlier. It happened, the fire broke out around quarter after five, and we were here before the, even the fire crews got here. We spotted it from the sky. The, there was pillars of black smoke coming out of this, what looks like a U-Haul storage facility. So again, uh, King George Boulevard blocked between 80th and 88th Avenue while emergency crews battle this blaze. It looks like they are kind of getting it under control here. I no longer see any flames, but still quite a lot of smoke coming out of this facility. Back going, to you, Sophie. Going to be quite a traffic nightmare for lots of folks. All right. Once again, uh, Trish reporting that King George is blocked between 88th and 80th, and we'll keep an update, uh, keep an eye rather on that situation as well throughout the evening. Now, Ottawa has unveiled its tax plan for the sale of legalized marijuana next year. And perhaps not surprisingly, it's only generating more controversy. Here's the math here in B.C. If a gram of pot is $8, an excise tax of a dollar will be tacked onto that. The GST and PSD add another $1.08 for a total price of $10.08 a gram. Typically enough for about one or two joints, depending on how you roll. Well, tonight, both the level of taxation and how the money will be divided up are the subject of heated debate. Ted Trenecki reports. If Ottawa can meet its target date, marijuana will be legal July 1st. But there's a lot still to do in the next seven and a half months, especially for the provinces. So to help build a framework, Ottawa today announced it'll impose a $1 per gram excise tax, or 10% of the retail price, whichever is higher. It would then split that new revenue 50-50 with the provinces. We certainly believe that British Columbia will bear the burden or bear the challenge uh, of the issues that have to be looked at. And so I'm taking 50-50 as a negotiating position from the federal government. The tax would apply to medicinal marijuana as well, and there would still be the PST and GST. That, says a prominent Vancouver cannabis rights activist, is the wrong approach. GST and PST and things like that, like any other consumer product, are all that are needed on cannabis. And the idea that we're already charging medical users with a doctor's recommendation these taxes, like no other prescription drug, and then we're going to add on to that this $1 a gram tax. According to the Washington State Liquor and Cannabis Board, it took only nine months this year to surpass the billion-dollar mark in legal cannabis sales. And from that, the state collected $300 million in tax revenue, most of it going to community health, substance abuse, and education programs. Still, it is estimated 30% of all marijuana sales in Seattle, for example, come from a black market that refuses to die. If you overprice or overtax, you, in fact, are going to keep the black market going. Uh, and one of the, the areas that we are focused on is making sure we rid British Columbia of the black market when it comes to cannabis. 
After initially overpricing marijuana in Washington and Colorado, taxes there were lowered, but revenue to the state then increased, in some cases dramatically. So 10% from Ottawa is just the beginning, as each province adds its tax and possibly dispensing fees. Stay tuned. Ted Chernacki, Global News. Well, meantime, the provincial government is bracing for a blizzard of legislative changes sparked by legalizing pot. We'll bring in Keith Baldry for more on this. Uh, and Keith, the NDP's right to say this is a huge challenge, a very complicated set of issues that they're going to have to deal with. Yeah, the provinces are responsible for the distribution and enforcement and retail aspects of the new uh, legalized pot program, but it is an incredibly complex file. It's not a simple case of just flipping a switch and making it legal. All sorts of laws are affected. In fact, 18 different pieces of legislation have to be amended, a record, I think, in terms of B.C. legislature work. Here's just some of the acts that have to be looked at uh, come next spring. First of all, uh, everything from the Motor Vehicle Act, the Police Act, uh, the Residential Tenancy Act, various municipal acts, including the Vancouver Charter, the Agriculture Land Reserve Act, the Islands Trust Act, various health acts as well. Uh, the Corrections Act, the Youth Justice Act, and the Strata Property Act. Of course, this has ramifications for property owners and uh, everyone connected to the correction system. So it's a mammoth undertaking, so large, in fact, Mike Farnworth, the Solicitor General, told us earlier today, it's basically going to consume next spring's legislative session, leaving little uh, time and resources to debate and pass other laws. Here's Mike Farnworth. The taxation is one small part of it, uh, but then so are issues concerning local government, uh, landlords and tenants, for example, uh, motor vehicle act, um, you know, the police act. There are a lot of legislative changes that will need to take place, and it will dominate the, uh, the spring session of the legislature. Now, in terms of the model to be used of how we, the, the uh, pot will be distributed, Mike Farmer says that's still a ways off. They've had 49,000 submissions on a website, which is a record across the country, but he hopes to have the model in place after public consultation sometime before the new year. Back to you guys. Lots of people weighing in on it, for sure. All right. Thanks, Keith. One day after the stunning news that drug overdose deaths in B.C. this year have passed the 1,000 mark, the provincial government has unveiled a test program aimed at saving lives. A special machine will allow users to check their drugs before they use them. But as Nadia Stewart reports, even the people behind the project say it won't reach everyone. Look, at I use drugs to cope so that I could live. We don't want to die. We're not idiots. We want to live. Passionate words from a street drug survivor. Dean Wilson praising the province and city of Vancouver for expanding opioid testing, something he says is long overdue. I originally asked for drug testing in 20, uh, 2001, and nobody's had the balls to do it until now. The city and B.C. Centre on Substance Use paying for this portable spectrometer to be used at two downtown Eastside locations. The machine breaks down what's inside a drug, but it is limited when it comes to detecting trace amounts of deadly fentanyl. So they'll be using these test strips, which will now be available at all supervised consumption and overdose prevention sites across the province. Unfortunately, there's no perfect technology that can rapidly detect it, you know, every substance and how much is there. And that, that's what people would like to know. But this is an improvement over what we were offering at Insight with the fentanyl test strips. Is that all right, that piece? But Lysician and others admit there are users who might decide even after testing to still take the drugs knowing fentanyl is in it. 
what we saw is that when people's drugs are positive for fentanyl, they reduce the dose they're going to take, which is a, a recognized harm reduction measure. And then there are those who will skip testing altogether. We can't force people to have their drugs tested. We can encourage people to have their drugs tested. We've got to turn the corner on this uh, as, we, as we bear the full brunt of winter and people are inside more and alone more, we're, we're going to have to work a lot harder on uh, reaching out and keeping people safe. Even if the methods are controversial. It doesn't matter. These lives are important. As the minister said, there's 80 parents out there this month that don't have a son or a daughter right now. Think of it. Nadia York, Global News. And for now, the spectrometer will only be available in Vancouver. And if it's successful, the program may be expanded. And here's another shocking example of the dangers of this overdose crisis. Last night in Delta, a police officer pulled over a man driving erratically in the 8,000 block of 120th Street. The man told the officer he'd worked a long day and was simply tired. The officer saw no obvious indications that the driver was impaired, but still had to go back to his cruiser to write a ticket for erratic driving. When he returned to the car, he found the driver slumped over the wheel. Our officers are trained in what to look for in an opioid drug overdose. He displayed those symptoms and uh, naloxone was administered by the officer to the driver. Had the officer not been at the right place at the right time and stopped this vehicle, we could be looking at quite a bit of a different outcome um, than we are today. Right now we've got an impaired investigation ongoing. No one was injured, there was no collision, and this person survived an overdose. An explosive report says one of B.C.'s busiest hospitals is a toxic workplace that's so bad it's verging on self-destruction. The consultant's report on Nanaimo Regional Hospital is a litany of bullying, harassment, lack of trust and nepotism. As Nitu Garcha tells us, things are apparently so bad, staff members tell their families to go somewhere else if they're sick. In a place where the goal is to help heal, a toxic culture is leading to self-destruction, according to a scathing new report about Nanaimo Regional General Hospital. One of the things that often gets left behind with budgetary restraints or capacity concerns or what have you is, is the people. The report says things are so bad, hospital staff have instructed their friends and family to go elsewhere for care. The results come from a survey of 473 staff and executives. What surprised me the most was the comment about people and employees and physicians being the least valued commodity. Island Health hired a U.S.-based consulting company to conduct the culture assessment. It says there's too much focus on the budget, ignoring people's willingness to provide the best patient care, and that employees work in an atmosphere of fear, bullying, and retaliation. The findings? A tough pill to swallow for the leadership team. It's been difficult to take. But the hospital has been plagued with problems for years, and that's why this report doesn't come as a surprise. Staffing issues, scheduling issues, perception that management doesn't really care about these issues or about the people who are providing the care. We've been hearing that for some time. Nurses have been raising concerns since as far back as 2014, if not even prior to that related to workload and staffing. Part of the problem, the report says, is staff are stretched out too thin, a symptom of what the health minister says was a bad move last year, the rollout of the controversial iHealth paperless record system in Nanaimo. A new IT system was offered first on Vancouver Island at a hospital that had 
uh, that was known to have problems, right? That that clearly was a mistake. The province vowing to take immediate action, as is NRGH, which says facing this damning report head-on is a big first step in mending broken relationships. Getting this out there for everybody to acknowledge and own a piece of, uh, that's really going to set us off in the right direction to uh, change our course. Neetu Garcha, Global News. Another warning from police tonight about a high-risk sex offender who's completed his sentence and is now living in Vancouver. 44-year-old Trevor Leonard Smith has been convicted of sexual assault, possession of child pornography, and assault causing bodily harm. Police say he's a high risk for violence against women and sexual offenses against children. Trevor Leonard is 5'10", 170 pounds, with gray hair and blue eyes. He sometimes has a salt-and-pepper beard or goatee. Smith isn't allowed anywhere near children under 16, and anywhere they're present, he can't have alcohol or drugs. He's not permitted in bars or liquor stores, and he can't own a computer or any device connected to the Internet. So those conditions are preventative measures. They only become a criminal matter if he breaches them, and that includes any of those. So we're encouraging anyone who may see him breaching these conditions to contact 911 immediately. The family of a missing Okanagan woman is speaking out tonight now that police have ended their intensive search of a property near Salmon Arm. So far, police have only confirmed the discovery of the remains of 18-year-old Tracy Genero. As Romina Dea reports, the family of Deanna Wirtz is left wondering what else they might have found. 16 months missing, no leads, equals torture for Alana Wirtz. You want answers and you want to be able to tell people answers and you got none. Wirtz's 46-year-old sister, Deanna, was last seen by her husband July 19th, 2016. She went on a hike near her home in Yankee Flats, which is very close to the Sagmoan farm, the site of a colossal police investigation launched last month. The RCMP say the remains of another missing woman, 18-year-old Tracy Genero, were found on the property. In one sense, you're, you don't want to hear that, and, but in another sense, you, you, you want to know something, because with Deanna's case, um, there's been nothing. For Wirtz and the families of the other missing women in the area, nothing new will likely surface from the current investigation because the RCMP have left the farm. Our officers turned uh, the property back over to the owners uh, about midday yesterday. So essentially all our resources, equipment and personnel have, uh, you know, uh, pulled out. It's, it's disappointing. You, you, you do want more. You want, some, you want some sort of answers, right? The RCMP maintained the human remains found belong to one person only. No one has been charged in Genero's death. Even though the search is over, the Mounties say the investigation continues. Hope is fading. Deanna's still alive. Her family just wants her home. I'm sure we'll never get the full story, but to lay her to rest and know where she is from that day on would be the closure I'm looking for if if um, Deanna is no longer with us. Romina Dea, Global News. Well, it looks like Christmas came early to the North Shore. That big dump of snow is hanging on at the higher elevations. We'll check in to see what the early opening means for ski hills and why you may want to enjoy it while you can in just over a minute. Comedian Louis C.K. admits his bad behavior and another Hollywood actor steps forward with his own tale of abuse. Coming up on the News Hour.
And a wild chase across Oklahoma City caught on camera and shared by a car thief on social media. How it all ended later. But first, winter has come early for lower mainland ski and snowboard buffs. Two North Shore mountains open today. The earliest openings for cypress and grouse in decades. And as Jill Bennett reports, there's the added bonus of being able to hike up the grind and ski down grouse all in the same day. It's early in the season for chairlifts to be in full swing. But the crowds on opening day at Cyprus are proof. Skiers and boarders are more than ready. Oh, it's pretty gnarly. Pretty gnarly? Yeah. We're still shredding out here. It's opening day. Can't complain. Sun's out. No school. Two of the 53 runs are now open. Last year, opening day was November 24th. Some cold weather plus machines that have already pumped out more than 28 football fields worth of snow mean it's all hands on deck. We go from about 40 staff over the off-season up to 850 over Christmas, so there's a, a big recruiting process for sure. It's not just those with the need for speed enjoying opening day. This family brought out their third-generation toboggan. That toboggan was bought in 1957. Are you enjoying the tobogganing? Yes. Yeah? You like the snow? Yes. At the base of Grouse Mountain, hikers are still heading up the grind in shorts. But at the top, skiing and boarding started at 3 p.m. It's weird to get to the top and you're getting on the gondola with people taking their skis down. It's super weird. That's what, that's what Vancouver's all about. The weather's amazing. I was expecting rain. I checked the, <laughs> and uh, this is a very pleasant surprise. Preparations are in full swing. And while not every run is ready for business, opening on November 10th has only happened once before at Grouse in almost 40 years. And also early forecasts are pointing to another La Nina winter, which last year we had and we got tons of snow and it was a fantastic season. So we're very optimistic for the season ahead. And that means plenty of time for all skill levels to enjoy a season that's arrived a little earlier than usual. Jill Bennett, Global News. We're excited for a good season. It's going to be a wicked season like last year, hopefully. That's at Panorama Mountain Resort in Invermere, also opening today. A few hundred people enjoying its earliest opening in a 55-year history. The resort says their investment in snowmaking equipment helping them with the early opening. It's a beautiful sight. Mm -hmm. All right, a pathway improvement project residents don't want. You want to put the kids in the pool before you get rid of the sharks? Tired of a walkway that's a pipeline for crime. What the neighborhood is doing to fight back. And a stream of fire on a highway in China. What started it? Still to come. People living near Surrey's remand center have been calling for safety improvements to their community. Things like better lighting and surveillance cameras. But what city crews started to work on today only infuriated the residents. John Hua explains. It's not often increased wheelchair accessibility is a call to arms. Who do you think is the employer? This isn't we are. We don't but residents on 57A Avenue see work on this pathway as a slap in the face to their Surrey neighborhood. We do everything we can to defend it. This does not help us. Frustration over this footpath has been boiling over for years. On the other side, a courthouse, parole office, and expanded remand center. Residents say is sending a stream of criminal behavior their way. It is a floodgate. These people are those kind of people that don't really take to legal matters properly. What are you doing there? Um, I just got out of jail. The homeowners have sent the city evidence of prostitution, drug use, 
even break and enters. Yet they say calls for lighting, security cameras, and police patrols have been ignored. The city has done absolutely nothing to facilitate the safety of this neighborhood. But the work to make the path wheelchair accessible, the city admits, comes just two days after a public call was made. Oh, the increased police presence brought in by the city? That's here to keep residents away from the road crew. I, have, I feel like I've been kicked you nowhere. I don't feel this has respected us in the least. Staff at City Hall say the pathway can't be blocked. Cameras also not an option. We'll now meet with residents to explore lighting as a possible solution. The city is telling us they want to make this wheelchair accessible. We're saying you want to put the kids in the pool before you get rid of the sharks? You're a little out of line, okay? No, I'm not. I'm not out of line. You're out of line. This war over a walkway far from over, with residents saying the only people gaining easier access are criminals. John Hua, Global News. The confession from comedian Louis C.K., what he says about his behavior and how his accusers respond. Coming up. A frightening sight outside of a city that's known as the oil capital of China, where an oil tanker spilled some of its fuel and caught fire. The accident sparked a 100-meter-long streak of flames along the expressway. Firefighters responded pretty quickly to contain the leak and prevent an explosion. Remarkably, no one was hurt. Comedian Louis C.K. issued a lengthy confession today, admitting that five women who've come forward accusing him of sexual misconduct are telling the truth. The growing scandal leading more media companies to cut ties with the comic. NBC's Kristen Dahlgren has the latest. From a man who could sell out arenas to a sordid mea culpa. Another meteoric fall from grace as tonight comedian Louis C.K. comes clean. These stories are true, he writes, after five women told the New York Times the comedian either asked to or pleasured himself in front of them without consent. The power I had over these women is that they admired me, his statement continues. I wielded that power irresponsibly. There is nothing about this that I forgive myself for. I've spent my long and lucky career talking and saying anything I want. I will now step back and take a long time to listen. He said he never acted without asking first, acknowledging he was in a position of power. Two female comedians who accused Louis C.K. responding, You asked, but we never said yes. The fallout has been swift. Today, the star's latest film, I Love You, Daddy, scrapped. Netflix pulling an upcoming stand-up special, HBO wiping his content, FX ending all associations with the comedian, his management company severing ties. He's been criticized a little bit because he did not directly apologize to the women who have accused him, but other people are saying that this frank and very remorseful statement goes a lot further than some of the others that we've seen so far. But the rampant sex abuse scandal rocking Hollywood brings new victims by the day. Today, ER actor Anthony Edwards accused his mentor, Broadway producer Gary Goddard, of abusing him when he was a teenager. NBC News reached out to Goddard but received no response. Edwards did not mention reporting this to police and says it took him years of therapy to heal. I did not go from being a victim to a survivor alone. Tonight, he's the latest star to say me too. Kristen Dahlgren, NBC News, New York. 
Chances are you've seen a lot of police chases, but not many like this Wild West version out of Oklahoma. It lasted for about three hours. The suspect speeding down streets and highways and eventually tearing across farmers' fields. Even after police tried to ram him, he kept going. Not only that, he was broadcasting himself on Facebook Live during part of the chase. Eventually, he got stuck after backing into a pond and police caught up with him after a short foot chase, eventually stopping him with a stun gun. In Health Matters tonight, a new study says women may generally use tanning beds more than men, but men become more addicted to the practice. Researchers at the University of Connecticut polled more than 600 tanning bed users. They found men are more likely to say they felt anxious if they weren't able to tan and that they spent money on it even when they couldn't afford it. Women are often the focus of most research and health warnings about tanning. So the authors of the study say anti-tanning campaigns should also target men. 99 years old and still sharp as a tack. Because when I lost both angels, Sir Isaac Newton took over control. A World War II veteran shares incredible memories of his time serving our country. And stealing more than airtime, how this interview helped catch a thief. How this impromptu TV interview helped catch a bank robbery suspect. Coming up right after the weather. All right, let's check in with meteorologist Christy Gordon now for a look at our weather forecast tomorrow morning being uh, the really important time that we're looking at. That's exactly right. So we'll break down your Remembrance Day forecast in just a second. First, though, participation is helping Canada celebrate 150 years by presenting 150 ways for you to stay fit. And today's suggestion is paddle boarding, which could have been something you could do today. It was spectacular out there today. Uh, about 9, 10 degrees was our high in many areas. A few areas, though, warmed up to 12. And you can see it is beautiful out there. So there's your forecast, though, for tomorrow morning. So overnight, we're going to see increasing cloud. We're expecting mainly cloudy skies and mostly dry conditions in the beginning of the morning. But by about 11, we're going to see a front push on shore. And I think you have about a 60% chance of seeing rain across the region. It will be hit and miss, and it will be more likely in the afternoon. But don't go to a Remembrance Day ceremony. And this is in Victoria as well without bringing a rain jacket or umbrella. At the very least, you'll need it on your way home. So uh, there you are warned. It's because of this front here, which is mostly affecting the northern parts of the province right now, but it will shift down into the south coast, bringing in a few flurries right now into areas like uh, the Caribou. Quinell saw a little bit of snow today. Those of you across the southern interior, though, a beautiful day after all the snow that you saw yesterday. Another nice day for you tomorrow will be Sunday that you'll start to see a change. So here's your Saturday forecast. Rain across the north coast, windy conditions as well. Snow for Terrace and Smithers, about five centimeters. Prince George, Quinell, a few flurries expected for you tomorrow and that extends down into Williams Lake and Vailmont as well. Further south, temperatures still cool but you're climbing a little bit and you will see lots of sunshine along with the cloud cover in the mix. South coast regions dry in the morning but that chance of rain picking up throughout the morning hours so late morning into the afternoon it, we, it will be wet. It's not consistent rain but we'll see it on and off through our Saturday afternoon and our Sunday and our Monday and our Tuesday and our Wednesday. Oh, 
It's going to be a tough week, everyone. Make sure your umbrella is handy. Temperatures will cool off a little bit on Monday and Tuesday as well. All right. Happy birthday to Elizabeth Bunty Conroy and a George Alexander and two anniversaries. One, a 76-year anniversary to Wynn and Ray Finley and Lynette and Ken Stouffer. Congratulations to you. And here's the snow, beautiful snow in Quinnell today. Thanks to Melissa for that one. Great shot. They don't seem to mind at all. Not at all. Hey, Atlanta reporter Ashley Thompson thought she was interviewing a man on the street about transit. Turns out she was helping catch a bank robbery suspect. doesn't really have its own public transportation, so Marta coming out here would definitely help out a lot. As it happened, her interview subject had allegedly just robbed a bank. The bank manager apparently spotted the suspect wandering over to the reporter after the robbery and alerted police. They spoke to the reporter, got his name, and later arrested him, but not before police allege he robbed another bank after doing the interview. Busy guy. Well, in the days ahead of Remembrance Day, we've been hearing some remarkable stories of those who've made the ultimate sacrifice to serve their country. And it's particularly compelling when we hear firsthand from the veterans themselves. Now, their numbers are dwindling, but 99-year-old Jack Miles is still going strong. Linda Aylesworth has his story. At the age of 99, John Campbell Shakespeare Miles, better known as Jack, already has his 100th birthday celebration planned, a romantic cruise with his girlfriend Pauline. We will celebrate on March the 6th, my birthday. We'll celebrate on a balcony and watch the sunset. Jack is the first to admit he's a lucky man, not just in love, but to have served his country and survived as an RAF pilot in World War II. That is the type of aircraft that I used to fly in Burma. One mission involved the evacuation of 31 newly released British prisoners of war from Saigon. These men have been captured by the Japanese. They were as thin as rakes. They'd been starved. But en route to Rangoon... It was when I lost both engines, Sir Isaac Newton took over control. And down we went. His skilled emergency landing spared the lives of all aboard. The next day, the grateful POWs approached him. And they said, Sir, thank you for saving our lives. <laughs> that, those words have stayed with me forever. All these years later, what does Flight Lieutenant Jack Miles think about on Remembrance Day? The fellows who are not there. The fellows who you would have breakfast with them, next morning they weren't there. But he says he has no regrets. We were fighting for our homes. We were fighting for a huge, overpowering war machine that was going to take over the world, it's worth fighting for and even sacrificing and laying down your life to win. Linda Aylesworth, Global News. Thank you very much, Jack. Mm -hmm. Great name, too. And don't forget about our local Remembrance Day coverage tomorrow morning. We are live from Vancouver's Victory Square from 10.30 until 11.30. And as you heard from Christy, don't go out without at least taking an umbrella or a rain jacket. Right. We've been warned. Mm -hmm. All right, Squire joins us now, too. Yes. We were talking about the 
soccer game yesterday and the potential for a great matchup. It, it was a good matchup. Canada you know, 1-1. Actually, Canada almost won it. And the Canada hasn't beaten the Americans since 2001, but they'll play them again in San Jose, part of a two-game exhibition series. Now, last night, the Seahawks were in Arizona. They lost Richard Sherman for the rest of the year with an Achilles injury, but he admitted after the game he was playing hurt. Go out there and you play for your teammates. You go out there and, and try to give, give them all you got because they deserve it. Tried to be careful, but it finally went on him last night, and that is a huge blow to the Seahawks. And coming up a little later, don't forget satellite debris. Effortlessly avoids unexpected obstacles. <laughs> Do you know the way to San Jose? <laughs> I think the Canucks do. I think they're already there. <laughs> That wasn't my best that was actually not, You're no Roger Whitaker, but that was pretty <laughs> good. Was pretty good. Thank you. Uh, they are in San Jose tomorrow night. They're there now, but they'll play tomorrow night. Uh, last night they were in Anaheim. They lost 4-1. Uh, to one. Uh, Chris Tanev didn't play in that game because he was already hurt, uh, and that hurt the Canucks special teams. They say that Tanev probably has a broken thumb. He's actually had a lot of bad luck. Not quite Sammy Sallow bad luck, but he's getting there. Remember, he had the mumps last season mm-hmm. as well. But without Tanev, penalty killing gets killed. Ducks had three power play goals last night. I have to say, just the last few games, I know the Canucks beat Pittsburgh last week, they seem to be coming back to earth a bit, but maybe that's not a surprise. Okay, there are a lot of players getting early MVP consideration in the NFL, but how about Russell Wilson? Plays behind a weak offensive line. There is no running game in Seattle to speak of. It forces him to improv at a high level. Last night, he had another one of those improvised plays that looked like something you'd only see on an Xbox. Check it out. Is he going to run? Is he going to pass? Uh, uh, wait a minute. Nope. He's going to run. Wait. Nope. Now, just throw it. Now, good on Doug Baldwin to come back for the ball. But we'll show it again and watch. I don't know when Russell Wilson sees Doug Baldwin is open, but he does at a glance. Watch again. And there's a point coming up where it looks like he wants to throw it and he pulls it down right there not yet now he does and he just turns and fires the guy is absolutely incredible without him they are truly out of luck now that was the good news last night here's the bad news Richard Sherman ruptured his Achilles right here he's out the rest of the year and that is bad news of the Seahawks defense in the past he has complained about playing on Thursday night, saying it doesn't give players enough time off after a Sunday game. But this cannot be blamed on Thursdays because he knew he was playing on a bad Achilles. It was bothering him already, and he wouldn't listen to doctor's advice about maybe taking a game off or two. Richard Sherman. Doctors have tried to talk me how to plan for years. You know, they tried to stop me many years, and they understand that, you know, I'm going to go out there and try to give, do everything I can to tell my team. And, you know, it's not about anything but that, you know, it's this, it's, I owe it to those guys and gave them everything I had. I'm also impressed he found a jacket that matches that Seahawks Thursday night uniform. Uh, Corey Philpott was one of the best running backs the BC Lions ever had. Won a Grey Cup with them in 94, scored, scored 22 touchdowns the following season in 1995. He stayed in Canada after his career was over, became a fixture on the high school and junior football scenes as a coach. He has developed a lot of young players, and two of the ones he's developed are his sons. This is second and one for BC, and Corey Philpott finds a giant hole. He's gone. 
Corey Philpott retired 17 years ago after a brilliant CFL career that saw him rush for over 5,000 yards and score 59 touchdowns, mostly with the BC Lions. Today, Philpott gets to relive those moments through his twin boys, Jalen and Tyson, who are definitely a chip off the old block. Jalen is definitely a running back, and you know what? He, he, plays, he plays like I played with no, no abandons. You know, Tyson's just a, a mind of his own. You know, he's a great wide receiver, and he, he does what he has to do out there as a wide receiver. So, But when you see them both run, they run hard. They do what they have to do uh, to make, the, make plays. The twins, who are now 17, play starring roles for the Siakwim Seahawks out of North Delta. Tyson wears his dad's number six, Jalen wears number five. And with Corey on the sidelines as an assistant coach, it's truly a family affair. Probably every meal we sit down, we're talking football, and we like to sit down and watch film together and call out plays and stuff. So, like, just among us, we, like, all see the same things, and we all read this the same. Well, actually, yeah. Well, and they're doing five. They're putting five, 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 five front in the box, right? The boys were born the year their dad retired, so they never saw him play live, but they fire up the old game film periodically. I showed them some highlights, and they've watched some on their own just about it, but they do their own thing. They, they think I'm old now, retired, so just that's where it goes. Uh, he just tells me. He likes to joke around and tell me uh, stuff in practice, so how he could score on me still now, but uh, it's all right. He's an old man now. So Both Jalen and Tyson have interest from U.S. and Canadian colleges. Where they land is still to be determined, so this is likely their final season together, but to experience it all as a family has been special. We have our offs and ons. We disagree a lot, but uh, when it comes, like when we click and we all know what we're talking about, then it's just beautiful. You know, it, it's a great feeling to see your kids be able to go out and play the, and do the game that I enjoy and I love playing. And, you know, it, it, it's a great feeling, and I just wish them successful and hopefully that they can keep their drive and continue to do the right things out on the football field. Very delayed global sports. Italy-Sweden, first of uh, two games to see who gets to the World Cup. Italy's been there 18 times, but they lost this game to Sweden. Jacob Johansson. Oh, deflection and in. So uh, Sweden wins the home game 1-0. The second game will be in Italy. There you go. Two-game total goal, just like the Whitecaps Seattle thing. There you go. Thank you very much, Squire. You're welcome. Thank you, sir. Let's check in with Jay Durant now for a look ahead to Global News at 11. Jay? Thank you, Sophie. More on our top story. Fire crews battling a blaze at a U-Haul facility tonight in Surrey. We'll have the latest from that scene. And a group of Marpole residents vowing tonight to keep up their fight against a plan to build modular housing in their community. Residents fear the move will invite drugs and crime into their neighborhood. What is the response from Vancouver City Hall and what measures will it take to ensure those fears don't materialize? We'll hear from both sides tonight on NewsHour Final. All right. Thanks, Jay. We'll take a short break. Squire's back after that with satellite debris. But first, here's Kasia Badurka with five things you can do with your family. Kasia? You bet. First off, for the foodies. Cornucopia, Whistler's celebration of food and drink, continues this weekend. Informative demos, lavish dinners, and wine tastings will be going on through at various venues in the village. Bring your appetite and an open mind, because you'll likely learn and try exciting new fare. The Bare Naked Ladies, they're taking the stage Saturday night at the Sagebrush Theatre in Kamloops. You won't need a million dollars to see them. Tickets are $80. 
The Christmas Circle Craft Market has been a tradition for 45 years, and it's truly the most impressive craft fair of the season. Happening at the Vancouver Convention Centre, it features over 300 artisans with gift ideas you probably won't see anywhere else. It's on this evening until 9 and all weekend long. Meanwhile, at another part of the Convention Centre, a very different event is happening. Fan Expo is on the best place to celebrate all things pop culture. A chance to get your favourite characters autographed and great photo ops are all on the bill with demos, exhibits, contests and more. Finally, and most importantly, communities across BC, they're holding Remembrance Day ceremonies tomorrow morning. Check out the BC and Yukon Legion online to find the observances in your area. To find this and more, head to globalnews.ca slash five things. Coming up on ET Canada, we're dissecting Taylor Swift's new album. Plus, Drew and Jonathan Scott join us in our studio to talk about their new home improvement show. And Sarah McLaughlin talks about raising her daughters and how music changed her life in our new, very candid one-on-one. That's coming up at 7, right after the news hour. Back to you, Chris and Sophie. Well, thank you very much, Carlos. All right. Satellite debris. Okay, so here's a commercial about a dishwasher soap that may be a bit of an earworm. You might no. be. Oh, well, I'm sorry, oh, but you may like this too. This. You may like Sophie's this. Bad. You may be singing it tonight over dinner. You never know. Here we go. I love doing dishes three times a day until I'm dead. Scalding hot water on my skin. This stinky sponge really makes me cringe. Yes, I love doing dishes. I love doing dishes. My hubby loves my wrinkly hands. I love sharp knives hidden under the foam. I like being a prisoner in my own home. Yes, I love doing dishes. Hey, I just missed my kids' first steps. Doing dishes, wasting water into my face. Scooping up scum from my black hole. Check me out, I'm getting bored tonight. Yes, I love doing. We love doing. I love doing. We love doing. I love doing dishes. Nobody loves doing dishes. Leave dishwashing to dishwashers. Is it there? Mm. There you oh, go. It's got already it. got it there. <laughs> good, good. Okay, I'll give you a different commercial with a song that you might recognize, and it may change. I'll get that earworm right out of you. Here we go. This is for a movie star. It's a telecommunications company in Spain and South America. Here we go. Hoy elegí multiplicar, y ahora tengo más crédito para practicar con mi banda este temazo. Okay, I think better is better. Maniac. And oh, they're Maniac. breaking out the pan flute. They're like Zamfir. Yeah. 
Okay, so uh, this last one, um, Central Be Here Insurance. I don't know if I'm saying that right. We've used them a few times. They usually have funny commercials. Here we go, self-driving car. Introducing the all-new self-driving car. It does the driving for you, so you can catch up on the more important things in life. It automatically takes the right turns. Effortlessly avoids unexpected obstacles. And recognizes red lights far in advance. Ensuring you a perfectly safe journey every time. The self-driving car. Technology is ready for it. And so are we. Central Bahia Car Insurance. Maniac or the Dishes song, which comes to your head right away. Oh, oh Maniac. Maniac sure. yeah. Really? Well, the Dishes song is, we, we don't know it as well. It didn't make it in the top. T- oh, there you go.